Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Laura and I am delighted to be with you this morning. I'm a part of the team here and if you are tuning in for the first time this morning or maybe you've been just taking a break the last couple of weeks and you're tuning back in again, we want you to know that you're so welcome. You're so, so welcome here with us at Lagan Valley Vineyard and we hope that our welcome and our love and as we experience Jesus together this morning is not only here in this building but is with you in your home and we are expectant, I am expectant that Jesus is going to meet with us this morning. As Stu said, last week we sent out a survey, um, just a community survey to kind of get some of your thoughts and your ideas and just to see how you guys are doing as a community and how we can make the best, most informed decisions, not only as we come back, but actually as we look forward to the future as a community. How you feel and what you need is really important to us as we plan. But please don't worry, we are actually putting a lot of safety measures in place as we come back on the 6th, you're pri- you're, you are our priority. Your safety, your well-being as our community is our priority. So please don't think for any moment that we won't put all of the best procedures in place to be able to care for you as we come back together. But it would be super, super helpful if you could go and do that survey. It is in our weekly email from last week. Um, Some of you have said that you're actually not getting our communications, even though you have signed up for our weekly emails. The reason why that is, is because I have no idea why, but our emails go into your spam or your trash. So you actually just need to make us a contact in your emails, and then that means that they'll go directly into your inbox. So if you're not getting them and you're wondering why, that might be why. But if you're not getting them and that's not the reason, please do email me because actually receiving our communications is gonna be really helpful for you. Um, and your family over this next while. Today, after our service, we are trying something new on Wednesday. I actually had just seen that another church were doing this, and I thought that I would just check it out. I would just try and see if it works. So we are going to have a Connect and Coffee over Zoom at the end of this service, and I can just hear it. I know, let's just, let's just say it all out now. We all collectively agree that Zoom is the worst. Like we all hate it, okay? I hate it and I know that you do, but it's all we have right now. And so please do come and connect from the survey. Quite a lot of people are saying that they feel less connected. So this is one of the things that we have put in place. And although it's small, it will not fix all our problems. Actually, those wee conversations that we have really make a difference to our day and to our well-being. Um, just a, a moment to say hello to someone and to maybe meet someone for the first time and say hello. So that's going to happen straight after our service today. To find the details for, those, um, for the Zoom call, you can find them all on our website or on our social media. So please do go and find them. Um, a few of us will be there after the service to greet you. Um, yes, yeah, so please, please go and do that. I know that we are all feeling the hit of the storm that is 2020. Um, I don't know if I have spoken to one person this year who doesn't um, feel affected by what has happened this year. And I know that for so many people, actually, your relationship with Jesus just feels a wee bit different. 2020 has been hard. It has. And it has all hit us in completely different ways without any warning. And we've all lost something, whether that is connection, maybe you've lost the ability to go out of your house, maybe you've lost a job, 
Maybe you've lost a sense of purpose. Maybe you've actually lost a close family member or a friend. Maybe you have um, been hit really hard financially. Maybe you've lost your faith. Um, but I, one of the things that I don't hope is that I hope that we haven't lost our sense of hope. There is a part of us that is all grieving this storm. And we are hopeful for a change in the tide to come soon. And I really hope that the scripture that we spend time in this morning reminds us that Jesus is here with us in this storm. That as he assures us that his presence is with us, that that would change your, your, that that would just change your heart this morning, that you would know that God loves you, that he cares for you, and that he is with you. And as we journey throughout the scripture today, that is my hope for you. I'm going to take a moment to pray just before we get into our service. So if you are at home um, or if you are listening, if you're watching this back at another time, um, you might just want to put your hands out to receive what we have. If you're watching this back and you're driving, don't do that. You just keep your hands on the wheel and you can just close your eyes and just welcome Jesus to wherever you are. So um, let's just change our posture and say that, Jesus, we want you with us. Heavenly Father, we just pray that your presence would come and fill our hearts that as we open the scriptures together, that we would hear your voice and we would know your presence and that we would feel your guidance. And Father, ultimately, that we would know that you are with us in this storm, that you are with us in every circumstance in our life. So we just take a moment to settle. We just take a moment to say, it's been a busy week, but I am ready to hear the scriptures. Jesus, I'm ready for you to speak to me. I'm ready for you to just come and be with me in any circumstance that I am in. So Father, we welcome you. I pray that my words would glorify you. I pray that our demeanor would be um, just postured to receive your goodness this morning. And Father, if we miss anything, I pray that the thing that we would know is that you love us and that you are for us in any storm and in any part of life. So we welcome your presence here this morning, Father. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. I don't know if um, someone has ever mistaken you for someone or you have mistaken someone else for someone else. It actually happens all the time and it's really embarrassing whenever you think that you know the person. You're like, hey, you're not the person I thought you were. (laughs) Well, this actually happens to me all the time. I get told regularly that I look like a famous person. Not that my demeanor, like I come across as if I'm like really cool and like famous, but I actually physically look like someone who is famous. (laughs) And I'm gonna tell you who it is, but if you can guess while I tell the story, then I'll let you know. (laughs) You can know if you were right. (laughs) Whenever I was about 18, I was doing an internship in a Christian charity um, called Exodus, actually just in the center of Lisbon. And as I was going up the stairs to my office, there was a guy doing some work in the building. And we were kind of like trying to go past each other in the stairs. It was like a wee shimmy of like awkwardness, like, hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me pass. How's your day? Kind of a thing. And he started like looking at me really weird, like kind of funny. And I was like, this guy's really strange. But granted, I was 18 and super awkward. So I just thought it was me. Later on that day, I was sitting with my manager and he, or my manager came in to me and he was like really, really laughing, like wet himself laughing. And he said, here, that guy came to me earlier and asked me if you were a relation to George Best. <laughs> 
I get told regularly that I look like a famous footballer. He has now passed away, but apparently it is my blue eyes and my eyebrows and my cheekbones, not his facial hair and not the fact that he is a man, but that I get told this all the time. Actually, it's quite embarrassing. But whenever I was 18, it was kind of embarrassing, but I love a good joke, so I just went along with it. And then, actually, two years ago, we were at a family, my first family wedding with Pete's family, and I was sitting, and his cousin, he was like, you really look like George Best. And I was like, I've heard it before. I, that's not the first time I've heard that. Poor Pete, <laughs> his wife looks like George Best. But he actually, like, what he would do is that people would come to the table and be like, here's someone at this table looks like a sports person, and everyone would be like, Laura looks like George Best. And I'd be like, why does this happen to me? No one in my family looks like George Best, it's just me. But anyway, I kind of got to the point where I was like, do you know what? George Best is a really handsome man, so could be worse. At least he's handsome. Um, but I wonder if you've ever been mistaken for someone or you thought you recognized someone and they were actually somebody else. That is a very, very far related story to what we are talking about this morning. But we, were talk we are talking about what does it mean to recognize someone for who they are. Obviously, I am no relation to George Best, but it happens actually I would say a couple of times a year where people think I'm George Best. If you don't know who George Best is, go and Google him, and then you will know. <laughs> um, I think it's his hair and his eyes and everything, but um, yeah, before, now we're gonna move on to the scripture, which is much more serious than that silly story. So if you wanna turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33, and you might have already guessed by now, but we are actually talking about when Jesus comes a storm, that's why I've been referencing storms. Um, and we're gonna take some time to read that this morning. I'm gonna read it in two parts. So the first part of our, our um, talk this morning is gonna be the first section, and then I will bring it back in for the second section. So if you wanna turn with me to Matthew 14, verse 22 to 23, and it says this at 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Total side note, I just love those moments in the scriptures when it says that Jesus took himself off to pray of just the importance of doing that in our, in our lives with Jesus. It's just, I just love those moments when it says it. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out, went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid." So we're gonna stop there at 28 and then we're gonna pick up again at 29 to 33. So here we are in the middle of the book of Matthew. It feels like we've been in the book of Matthew for our whole lives, but we are in the middle of the book of Matthew and we are just loving what it means just to just immerse ourselves into one book, into the life and the person of Jesus and what he did. So Jesus has arrived in Israel. He has been revealing himself as the Messiah and he has been fulfilling the laws and the prophecies of the Old Testament. It's important to remember that the people at the time only had the Old Testament as reference. He's been teaching about how that they are to live into the way of the kingdom and how they do that is to murder all that he is doing. So to take his teachings and to live it into their life. 
And where we are in this part of the story, if you can remember from last week, Jesus and the disciples have just finished feeding 5,000 plus people. It's important to note that Jesus fed the 5,000, the 5,000, not the 5,000, the 5,000. The disciples witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's important to remember that note because we're going to touch on it later in the sermon. It is really important for us to remember that. And now here they find themselves in the middle of the storm. They've had a really tiring couple of days. They're kind of thinking, what on earth is happening? Like, this guy Jesus can do it all. Like, he fed 5,000 people with such little food. And here they are in the middle of this terrible storm, probably just wanting to go to sleep. I assume that they're tired and exhausted. It doesn't say that, but from the fault from the previous text, you could probably assume that their whole life has been turned upside down just following Jesus. And it had been a fairly intense few days. And Jesus is coming to the part in the story that we all know. The part that he will be rejected by many, including the high authorities. We begin the next stage of this life in ministry that culminates in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So here we are, halfway through the book. And if you just want to put yourself in the position of the disciples, of what they were experiencing and what was happening with Jesus as they followed him. They had no idea what was coming next. Jesus is teaching them a really important lesson that is not only relevant for them back then, but for you and I today in 2020. The Gospels are just insanely beautiful. They reveal who God is. I know the whole of the Scriptures do that, but the Gospels do it in a completely different way that we'd never known before. It tells us who he is. It tells us how he wants to be with us. It tells us how, he, how Jesus literally moves onto the earth. How God moves from the heavenlies to the earth just to be with humanity. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And he was taking this idea of God being with us, not only in the sanctuary, in the temples of the Old Testament, but he was actually bringing it in to God being with us in person, that his spirit would be with us. Some scholars say that Matthew shows Israel in its darkest times, so where they were in their context was just total darkness, that Jesus came at the time to liberate the nation of all of trouble and darkness, that he came not only to be the king of Israel, but to be the king of the world. N.T. Wright put it beautifully in one commentary when he said that Jesus challenged the misconceptions of believers at the time. They had an idea that God would come back and be king, and they were right, but Jesus did that and he did that in a way that maybe that they just weren't expecting. How they knew him to be king was that he would come back and he would look like a king and he would wear a crown and he would wear the best of the best and he would like just be king, but be better. You know, so all of the misconceptions that they had about what a king was, they thought Jesus would be this, but just be it way better. They had a misconception, and at times they didn't recognize him. We might not have recognized God because of this misconception. And it says that in the text, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear because they didn't recognize him. He was not what they thought. 
this really, really struck me because the disciples had been with Jesus for a considerable amount of time at this point. You know, they'd been really immersed into who he was. They were learning about um, just the ways of the kingdom. They were learning about who he was and his character and his nature. And yet the most heavenly man that they had spent so much time with, they didn't recognize. I wonder how many times you and I have been like the disciples. I know I have, where I've just totally not recognized God in a moment. Just totally missed it. How many times has God appeared to me or to you and we just didn't know that it was him or we missed him in the moment? We in the West have an idea of what we think God is like. We have created a box for Jesus and anything outside of that we say, mm, I, don't, I don't think that's him. I would know because you know, he's, he, he is this. So therefore that, that, that couldn't be him. If you're following a Jesus that agrees with almost everything that you say, but you never feel challenged by him, he spends money the way you spent money, he doesn't like who you don't like, and he loves who you love, it's probably a good indication that you're not following Jesus, that you're following a notion of Jesus. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, I mean that in a way that you should challenge yourself as to what you really think about Jesus. Do you recognize him as he really is? People in biblical times had a notion of what Jesus would be like, just like you and I. And I think it's really easy, so don't hear any judgment in that. I think it's just really good that we constantly ask ourselves, are we seeing this in the way that Jesus would? And Jesus arrives and leads them to the truth. He teaches them about compassion, that this way of life is for everyone, that you're actually to love your enemies, that you're to love your family. And it's just more than what you could ever think or imagine. What Jesus had for us and what Jesus had for the disciples. And as I said, they assumed that he would be like earthly kings, that he would dress like them and act like them and talk like them, but only he would just be way better, you know? They'd be like, here, my king is so much better than yours because look at him. But he came back as a carpenter. He came with justice and mercy in complete abundance. He came on a donkey and not on a chariot. He blew their misconceptions wide open. And they had to relearn their ideas of him. They had to get to know him in order to fully recognize him. A few weeks ago, I was babysitting for a friend of mine, and their wee baby is called Wilfie, and we spend a lot of time with them. We, are, we have been bubbling with them with most of the, for most of the year. Um, and I was babysitting for them, and honestly, same whenever I'm babysitting anyone, I'm like, please just sleep the whole night, because I don't know what to do if you cry. Like, I really don't know what to do. And it was about 10.45, and he started to cry, and I thought, I'll leave him and see if he just goes back to sleep. But then he did that cry where, I don't know, when babies cry, you just feel so bad. You're like, I don't know if I can leave you in there. And I thought to myself, but I want to go and see if he's okay, but if I go in, I'm going to freak him out because I didn't put him to bed, obviously. His mum and dad put him to bed. So he's going to wake up and be like, what? You're not her. <laughs> You're some other person. So I went to the door, and I was like, oh, how am I going to do this? So I went to the door and kind of let him know that someone was at the door so that he could stop crying. And he kind of did. He settled a wee bit. And then I said... Do you, know, do you know Auntie Lulu? And he just went, Lulu. And then I said, who is Auntie Lulu? And he just went, Lulu. And then I thought, okay, he must know that's me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm Auntie Lulu, because it was completely dark. I didn't want to freak him out. 
And I went over and I lifted him and he went, Lulu. And I picked him up and he knew that it was me. Now granted, he was like, you're not my mum, but it'll do, <laughs> you know. But in that moment, I was like, goodness, he's not going to recognize me. And he could recognize me because he knew that I was a safe and trusted adult in his life, that I'm around, and he's like, okay, well, if it's you, it should be okay. And as simple as that analogy is, we have to get to know Jesus in order to recognize his presence, even in the darkness, even in the midst of the worst. You have to know him to recognize him. Do you recognize him when he shows up? Are we hungry for him to show up in any circumstance? This is not in my notes, but I just feel it's important to say, during the week as a staff, we met just to, we just were talking about how we all were and, and how we were doing. And I would say that I'm a considerably anxious person. I know that I come across that I am not, but like I am like very anxious. Over the last couple of years, I have done a lot to practice to not be anxious, to not be an anxious presence. I've gone to the doctors, done all these things. And actually, weirdly, I feel like COVID kind of healed me. I know that sounds really, really silly, but at the start, I was so anxious. I was like, what am I going to do if I get this? And if I go here, and if I touch this, if I do this, that means that I could get it. And if I get it, that means that I could give it to someone. All those things are true, but like they consumed my mind. And then one day, I don't know, I'm not assuming, God healed me from it because COVID was just so out of my control. There was just no point in being anxious. And I have not been anxious since the end of March. And I just think that's incredible. You see, God cares about who we are. In the midst of storms, he can still do incredible things. We have to recognize him. And the reason why I'm telling you the story that we met together as a staff, I didn't actually recognize that Jesus had healed me until that moment when I said it out loud. I missed recognizing him even in the miraculous. And we do that sometimes, so don't feel any judgment. It happens very easily, but we're just gonna invite Jesus into our lives just to say, God, what are you doing? How do I recognize you more? And how do I be with you in that? The next part of the scripture says that the disciples cried out in fear. Do you know what? I'm actually just going to point out, it's really important if you're feeling anxious, if that is you. I, am, I do believe that healing works, but I think it's really important that we use wisdom and discernment that that is not the only thing that works. So if that is you and you feel like you want to talk to someone about anxiety and you feel very anxious, I would encourage you to, to, to speak to a medical profession as well as praying alongside it. I just think that that is a, a good point of wisdom. It's something I did and it was a really good practice. Um, just jump back in here. Um, the disciples cried out in fear. And then Jesus says in verse 27, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Those famous words that we know and that we cling to. And I love that the text says that he did it immediately. He didn't wait, he said it immediately. And if the text says it, there is meaning in it. You see, love doesn't wait to show the truth. Love doesn't punish, love didn't punish them for their unbelief. Love didn't wait, love came immediately. And I love that, it actually says the word immediately twice in it. God's doing something there where he's saying, I'm going there and I'm going there now. I am doing a thing now. It's important to remember that love does not wait to show you the truth. It never hesitates, it's always there. 
You see, we believe in our misconception of faith in Jesus, that Jesus gets fed of working through our fears, that Jesus would be ashamed that I thought what I thought. And the text actually shows us the opposite. He said, I know that you're scared. I also know that you thought I was a ghost. <laughs> it's not. It's me. And you need to have courage. You need to take the courage. You need to take it from me because I have it. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. God says, have courage. I am in this storm with you. Don't be afraid. And right in the middle of our storms, Jesus wants us to recognize him. He is right there with you. The fear that you live in right now, Jesus understands, and he says, take courage. Because he loves you, because he cares for who you are and what you're living through. That sounds like a bit of like, gosh, I know that. It sounds very simple, but it is profound. That when you really believe that Jesus loves you, it changes everything. If our misconceptions of Jesus and the kingdom don't believe that Jesus cares richly and deeply about the storms that you're facing, the good news is that that is wildly untrue and an idea that is, not, is, that is yours and not biblical. I'm gonna say that again because it's really important. If your misconceptions of Jesus and the kingdom don't believe that he cares richly and deeply about the storm that you are facing right now, the good news is that that is wildly untrue, that is a, a misconception of yours and it is not biblical. It is biblical that Jesus cares about who you are and about what you're going through. And I know that because it's the text that we're reading today. That is possibly a construct of your own insecurities that you maybe believe that if other people don't care for you, that Jesus doesn't care for you. And that is just untrue. God cares for you and it is absolutely true, no matter what age or stage that you are in in your life. And maybe your fears aren't like mine. Maybe you don't face anxiety. Maybe you're, there's a whole list of things. You know, maybe your fear or your worry right now is that your like, couple of weeks old baby isn't eating or sleeping properly. It's not a fear that I understand, but it's a fear in your life and God cares for it. Maybe you've been made redundant or lost your job. God cares about that. Maybe you're worried about being in school. God really cares about that. Maybe you feel distant and tired in your faith. God cares about that. Maybe you are living with a broken heart. God really cares about that. Maybe you have really bad anger issues and it frightens you that that is who you are. God cares about who you are and he cares about making those things right. It's important to remember that God, ca God caring does not mean that he will give you all that you want, that he will show up. Interestingly, the storm didn't stop when he said, take courage. He could have, that's the thing, God could have done it, but he didn't, and you know why? Because when you read on, so much more is to come. So if you're in a, t in a storm, sometimes I feel like when preachers or teachers say this, you're like, oh well and good, something good's coming. If you're still in a storm, that means something's good coming. And the reason why we know that is because it's in the text, and that means that it's true. This story is God being with us, amplified, that he is right there with them. That is a biblical narrative that is true right from the beginning of scripture, right to the end of the scripture. And what this story does in this exact moment is that it tells you that Jesus is right beside you. That God had moved in 
to the world. He had done all of these large crowds and he had, he had spoken about who God was, but in this moment, he was simply just with his friends. He was with the disciples and he was saying, I am with you. The whole of the Gospels reveals this message to us in every parable, in every interaction. This is the message that God wants to be with us. I don't know why, I just completely lost all breath there. God is with you, and what this text shows us is that he wants you to recognize it. In the 321 questions this week, I think I remember putting that question in. Do you recognize God when he's in your life? And if not, how do you learn to do that better? The good thing is, is that it's, it's easy to learn to do it better because the more you spend time in his presence, the more you begin to realize and become aware of who he is. Do you recognize God when he's in your life? The second part of today's teaching text is taken, is moving on um, to chapter, to verse 29. And if you have your scriptures open or your Bible open, you can jump to that. And it says, this is the next part of the text where Jesus is not only walking on water, but Peter starts to walk on water. And I just love this part of the text. And it says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, there's that word again. Jesus reached out his hand and got and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat and the wind died down, then those who were there and the boat start began to worship him saying, truly you are the son of God. This is just the most beautiful invitation. I just think Peter just sounds like the most audacious person whenever you read the scriptures. Sometimes the way that the scriptures is translated in English really makes me laugh because it all just seems like it happened really quickly. But he's just so audacious and he's so expectant at the same time. Jesus, if it's you, how about walk on the water? You know, if you really say who you say you are, how about, why don't you walk on the water? And so he does. I can imagine all the other disciples just like rolling their eyes and like, Peter, would you just wrap up? He said it was him, you know, like you don't need that. How far is he going to take this? And then Peter puts his hands on the boat and then he puts his leg over and then he puts his other leg over. And there's just like, I can just imagine them being like, Peter, goodness sake. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, he's not only in the water, but he's on the water. This must have blown their minds. He's doing it. He's walking on the water. Can you imagine? And then in that brief moment, he takes his attention off Jesus. He takes his attention off the miracle and he focuses on the waters and everything changes. He takes his attention off Jesus and everything changes. You see, there are two realities here. There is the reality that there is a storm. That is very much still true. But there is the reality that Jesus is there with him. That is also very much true. His desire to walk with you through your storms of life are also true. And we know that because the text says it. If the text says it, then it's true. There is the reality of 2020, like it has just been the worst year. I know it has. And it has been some of the most furious storms maybe some of us have ever seen. And they are very much real. But we also have to remember that our other reality is Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we have to recognize his presence. And if you have never met Jesus before, he wants to meet with you. 
He wants to be in your life. He wants to face storms with you. He wants to comfort you. And he wants you to know that he just absolutely loves you. If you've never heard that before, just let that sink in, that he absolutely loves you, cares so deeply about the person that you are. Do you recognize that when you're in your storm, that Jesus is also with you? What is he doing? What is he inviting you into? Do you recognize his presence in the midst of everyday messy life? It doesn't have to be the biggest storm you've ever went through. It could just be that you're having a really bad day. Those things still matter to God. Do you invite him into the mess of your life, into the parts of your heart that scare you? You see, one moment you see Peter's expectancy for signs and wonders, you know, like that is just a part of being a disciple. It's part of knowing God, is being expectant for the signs and wonders. And literally in the same breath, we see his humanity. He's walking on the water and then the next minute he's not. He has to rely on Jesus in order to do the miracle. He has to keep his focus and attention on Jesus in order to do the miracle. And you know, One of the things I really like about this text is that it shows you that sometimes we feel more expectant than other times. Sometimes we feel like my eyes are on Jesus and then other times it's just like, I just feel like I'm sinking. If that ebb and flow was something you're in, you're with everybody else. That's the way we all feel. Sometimes we just feel like we are like, I am just with Jesus all the time. And then other times you're like, God, give me a word. (laughs) Show up, do something and you feel distant. We all feel like that sometimes. But the thing is, is that Jesus always invites you back. Always. He immediately invites you back. I find it really interesting that this miracle wasn't in front of a really big crowd. It didn't lead anyone to faith for the first time, like the disciples knew him. The disciples were pretty sold out for the mission of Jesus at this point, so they didn't really need to be convinced. They believed that he was who he said he was. You know, there was no, I don't think there was maybe apart from Judas, you know, but they kind of knew who he was and they were so loud for that. He was showing them his glory and his power, but he was also inviting them. Jesus invites Peter to do as he does. There is room for Peter to operate in the power and authority that Jesus also has. I said at the beginning, it was really important to remember that the disciples witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000. And here we see that Jesus actually invited them to do what he was doing. That's such an important part of our theology, that Jesus invites you to do what he is doing. Because in the short time, the short time the disciples were going to have to do that Jesus I don't know what way I've worded that in my words, <laughs> sorry, in my notes. What I'm trying to say is, Jesus was coming to this point where he was going to do what, to fulfill the prophecies, he was going to his death and his resurrection. And what he wanted the disciples to know was, I need you to know that you can do what I can do, that you can operate in the power and authority that I have, that if I walk on the waters, you can walk on the waters. If I can take the risk to do that, you can take the risk to do that. If I am in the storm and you're in the storm, you have to remember that I'm with you. All of these things are in the text. And if it's in the text, then it's true. And it's something that we can cling to. And I love that, that Jesus didn't just let them witness it. He actually let them do it. 
that you get to partner with Jesus in his power and authority to do those things. It says in John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Not I will maybe do it or I'll do it later or I will do it. It's kind of like that word immediately again. Immediately doesn't wait. So he's kind of saying to them, I have shown you what I can do and I've shown you what you can do. And I want you to live in this power and authority because whenever I go, you're going to need to do these things. You are going to need to operate in this power and authority in order to live within these storms. That is a part of being a disciple as a part of following Jesus, of loving Jesus. The fact that we know him, that he loves us, that we get to do what he does. I'm gonna invite the band up just as we kinda come. That they can do what he does is just a really important part of our life with Jesus. That if Jesus said to Peter, Peter, come to me and walk on the water in the midst of this storm, I'm gonna give you all the power and authority of what you need to get through this storm. If that is you this morning and you just think, I, I am in the middle of a storm, I have no idea how to get out of it, I have no idea, not even how to get out of it, how to be in it. I don't even know how to be in it. And maybe you just need to take that comfort zone of the boat and you need to be like Peter and you need to say, I'm gonna get out of the boat and I'm gonna operate in the power and authority. I'm going to operate in what Jesus gifted me, what I know he has given me. You see, the disciples knew and Peter knew that he had limits, but they also knew that Jesus had none. They worshiped Jesus for what he had done through Peter. And I love that it says that they worshiped Jesus at the end. When God does something in your life, you just need to be grateful for it. That's what really surprised me about my posture the other day. I hadn't even thanked God for healing. That's insane. <laughs> you know, maybe some of you are thinking, Lord, you should do that. You should work for a church. We're all flawed. We all have things that we maybe missed or that we didn't recognize. And like, you best believe that I have thanked Jesus for that all week. You know, how to, like learning how to um, wave gratefulness and worship into your everyday is just so important. Whether you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus or whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, whether you feel distant or you just feel a bit dry or a bit empty, God has something for you this morning. And you know what? Maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't said anything that's clicked with you. That's okay. I still really believe that God wants to meet with you. So that's who he is. And just as Jesus gave the power and authority for Jesus or for Peter to be in the storm, Jesus wants to do that for you this morning. He wants you to know the power and authority that you have to be in this storm. Or maybe you're like the start of the story where you've forgotten to have courage. And I love that it says to take courage, that it's like, it's already there, you just need to take it. You know, you just need to take it, you just need to grab it and say, I'm taking that, that is mine. It's my gift, that's God's gift to us. He was inviting Peter into a life of signs and wonders, not because Peter was any better than anybody else, but because he recognized the power and authority 
to live beside and alongside Jesus. As we go into a time of worship, um, a prayer is going to appear on your screen. And the reason why I wrote you a prayer is that um, just from chatting to some people, actually being able to lead yourself into a ministry time can sometimes be quite difficult. And we understand that that's really hard. Um, in ideal times, we would be all here together and we would lean in to that together. But you're going to do that in your own space and um, with your own family. Maybe you're on your own. Maybe you're surrounded by your family and you kind of wish you weren't. Maybe you're in the car. Maybe you're driving to work. Wherever you are, focus yourself in on this moment. Jesus has something to say. And the reason why I have written the prayer is that sometimes it's kind of hard to move into it. A couple of weeks ago, Stu did this and we just got feedback that was just really helpful. So just allow this prayer. It's going to come up on your screen. If you want to read it, you can. And I've just given you a couple of different ways for you to engage with that. I'm also going to read it if you are watching this back on podcast so you can join in. Um, And I've written this prayer. I feel like this is um, written a prayer for us to be able to go into worship together. Some of the things that there were maybe some good takeaways from this morning are, do you recognize Jesus in your life in the midst of this storm? Are you focusing on the wrong reality too much? Are you focusing on the reality of the storm too much? Do you need to focus your attention on Jesus in order to know how to be in it? And then maybe for some of you, you just feel like Peter. You just feel ready to get out of the boat. You just feel like you want to do that. Take the risk and go for it. I want to have the expectancy to live alongside Jesus, to operate in that power and authority. Both of those things God can come and minister to you with this morning. Or maybe you have something on your own heart that you want Jesus to minister with you in. Just invite him into that. Invite him into that space. Because as it says in the text, that he will immediately show up because love doesn't wait. Love does not punish you for your unbelief. And love has no hesitation. And I believe this morning that he absolutely loves you. Absolutely loves you. I know that with all my heart. So let's read this prayer together. You might want to read it out loud or you might want to say it in yourself. Either works for me. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life today. I believe that you are compassionate and merciful and that my life matters to you. As you demonstrated your power to Peter and the disciples on that evening, I invite your presence and your power into my heart and my life today. I keep my eyes on you through the furious storms. My soul trusts you and I allow my faith to rise that I would recognize your presence in the midst of all of my life circumstances. I hand over my greatest worries and fears because I desire to know heavenly courage. I desire to know you deeper, Lord. Meet with me that I might recognize your voice and your ways. I proclaim heavenly courage over my heart and my soul and my mind. Jesus, I worship you. The band are gonna lead us into a time of worship.